Ooh, I'm telling you, come and see what God has done for us and tell the world of his great love. That's it, man. That's a simple message. Amen. Pray for your neighbor and we'll see you next week. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty simple message, isn't it? You know, we're talking uh, about loving the lost, and we're going to finish up this series. If you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, you can check it out online at victorylafayette.org. Get the other two messages. When God began to speak to me this, this, this message on loving the lost, it's been a few months, and I knew it was for right before Easter as we were moving into that time and in that season. There are a lot of people in this earth today who want to come to church on Easter. They don't want to come to church any other time. They don't want anything to do with what's going on in the church, but something on the inside of them tells them they're going to be a heathen and go to hell if they don't go to church on Easter. Take advantage of that, right? That's part of what we're here for is to take advantage of the ignorance of those who are lost. And they don't, they don't know why, but they just feel like if I don't go to church on Christmas and Easter, I am going to go to hell. My mom told me. And so I, I have got to be there on Easter. So there are people all over this city. We've been praying for the lost to come in. From the north, south, east, and west, not just to this church, but to the kingdom of God. We've been asking God for that. We've been standing on that and agreeing in that. But I would also, you know, we went back and said, well, well why, why is it so important? Because there are lost people out there, and they're dying and going to hell, just like we talked about. I mean, the, 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 Jesus said the fields are, are white for harvest in John chapter 4. It's important for us to be about his business so that we don't lose a generation of folks who are in this world. The who part was the neighbor part. We talked about that last week. The why, the who, and the how this week. The who last week was who's my neighbor. We want the neighbor to be somebody next door to us. That's how we understand that word. But we realized as we went through Luke chapter 10 and talked about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan that, it, that his definition was expanded. It was widened by Jesus as he told the story. Not just your, is your neighbor not just the person next to you, the person in the cubicle at work? Your neighbor is the person who is in need who is in your path the one that Jesus brings across your path to intersect with you so that you can intersect in their life with him. That our, our, our neighbors, say, we, we open up our vision and say it's not just the people in our street. It is the people in your street, but it's also the people who he brings across your path. When I began to, to think about this and mull this over the last few months, I began to read a book. And uh, the book is called Love Does. And uh, it's written by a man named Bob Goff. And uh, it talks about his life, it's stories. Every chapter is a story from his life where he learned or understood a principle about sharing the love that's on the inside of him. Not just loving people, but the action kind of love that says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make it about people and not about myself. He's been a blessed guy. He's got a lot of hilarious stories. It's a, it's a, it's a good book. It's a nice read. There are, some, there are some nice nuggets in there that you can get out. But it, Really what it does is it just reminds you of how Jesus was in this earth and how we can be in this earth. And he tells a story about his kids, and I only share this because it kind of ties into the message today, but he, he tells a story about his kids. They were young when the, when the 9-11 stuff happened and all that went down. They, they, they were sitting at home that night, and he began to, to talk to them and try to share with them why, why bad people do bad things and, and how all this could happen and but as he was sharing it, he stopped, and he kind of went back, and he, he wanted to hear from them. Even though they were little and young, he wanted to hear from them. What, if you could talk to, to the leaders of this world today, what would you ask them? What would you tell them? I mean, the world's a dark place, and people are out there doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and there's, there's danger around every corner, and countries are taking over countries. And, but if you could meet with the, the leaders of those countries, what would, you, what would you say to them or ask them? And they came up with questions like, well, wh what do they really want? 
that they're not getting. And ask them questions like, what are you hoping for for your country and for your people? Just little things like that. And so they decided to write those questions down and send them to all the world leaders that they could find the address for. It was over 200 leaders. They sent these letters out across the country and said, if you would like to meet with us, we would love to come and talk to you. And really, they were just going to go and just, 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 just ask questions and about them, make it about that person, share the love of Christ that's on the inside of them, of course, but just have a dialogue and a communication with them that just says, what's going on in your life, and, and, and what do you really want, and how can we help? And uh, he knew they probably wouldn't get very many takers on that, so he told them, if we get any yeses, we'll take you to that country, and you can meet them. So they sent them all out. They got a P.O. box, so nobody knew where they lived. So if these leaders were mad, they wouldn't send bombs to hit them. They would kill the post office. And and, and all these letters started pouring in from from all of these world leaders. Tony Blair from from England, he had written back and said, that's a jolly good idea, but I don't think I have time to be able to do that with you. And he said that was the theme of, of the letters as they came in. That's a wonderful idea. We appreciate the sentiment and your thought, but we don't have time or we can't meet with you. And so they would go every day and get new, new letters, and they would read them on the way home from school, and it was always just kind of a thing. And he, was just, he would drive, and they were really learning things and enjoying things and, and feeling good about what they had done. And then one day they were riding home, and uh, <laughs> they started laughing and screaming in the back seat. And he said, well, what's the matter? And they said, they said yes. <laughs> and he said, who said yes? Because he and his wife were on the hook to take these kids wherever this person said yes to. And they, they said who it was. And then for, for the next few weeks, there were 29 yeses that came in from the letters that they sent out. Now, you got, you got to realize that's, that's 29 countries that they're going to have to travel to and take their children to talk. But this is, this is what the book's about. You do the right thing. You do what you need to do in the moment to spread whatever love you have on the inside with whoever needs it. And so I said, you know what we did? We took them out of school. And we took a great trip. And we went from country to country to country to country to country to see all these leaders, prime ministers and presidents and, and all of these people who were in the place. And he said, you know what? When they began to see that all we wanted to do was just talk to them about them and about their desires and about their dreams, he said their guards all came down. And they would just bring them back into the office and sit down and just have a conversation. And he said the guy from Russia, the, the leader in Russia that met with them, he had a whole feast all pastries and, and stuff. And he said, when I, when I get stressed, I get hungry. And so let's eat so we're not stressed. And then they had a good party right there, eating and doing all those kind of things. There was a guy from Malaysia uh, who, was, who, who was coming against some of his, some of his speeches, he was really coming against Israel and talking about death to Israel and all of these things. And, and these are just the little pieces and parts. And the kids, you know, wrote him a letter and said, we want to come talk to you and find out what's going on. They had met with the leaders from Israel, and they'd already been there. And so when this guy said yes, they got to come to him, and I'm not saying it changed his world or changed his mind, but they got to sit down with him and just dialogue about who Israel is, what they want, and what their heart is, and what he wants, and just begin to present the love of God. And as they did that, they began to see all these things happen and all these things change. You don't know what God is going to do in your life as he puts you in a position to open up your mouth and share the love that's on the inside of you. But, but we all have to open up our mouth and share that love. That book's a good book to read about it, but I wanted you to turn today to, to 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to read two or three things for you here today. The message is pretty simple. It's just give them what you have. 
We looked in, in Acts, and while you're turning to 2 Kings, we've, we've, over the last two weeks we've talked about three portions of Acts chapter 3 and 4. And I'll just paraphrase them real quick. In, in, in chapter 3, 6 and 7, those two verses, it's Peter and John with the guy at, at, at the, the temple, and, and he's crippled, and, and he was looking for money, and they said, silver and gold I don't have, but what? Such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and that rise up and walk. And then if you turn the page to chapter 4, verse 12, it says, you know what? Jesus is the only name by which man can be saved. And then if you go to verse 20 in there, if you go that far and go into that, to that point, it also says, for we cannot but speak the things that we have heard and the things that we have seen. So give them what you have. Jesus is the only answer. And tell people what you've seen and heard. Those are the three passages out of there that kind of resonate with what we're talking about today. But I have three keys, three practical steps for you in the how version of loving the lost. We said there was the the why version, the who version, and the how version. Today's the how version. And most of the messages this year have had some practical things at the end of it that we can all do. We can all put to practice in our life somehow to see this word that God's giving us lived out. And so I had three practical ones that God gave me, three steps to reaching the lost. And the first one comes out of 2 Kings chapter 7. And if we read here, it says, now there were... There were four lepers who were sitting at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we'll also die. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we'll live. If they kill us, well, we're going to die anyway. In that time, the Syrian army had come against the children of Israel and besieged their place and shut them up in this city. Literally were choking them and starving them to death. They had no way and no means to get any more food. So the people, that's what the lepers were saying. If we go inside, there's famine in there, we're going to die. If you read chapter 6, and we don't have time to go back through all that, it's a little gruesome. They're, 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 they're selling donkey heads to eat donkey heads. They're selling dove dung for people to eat. They're actually, they're actually turning to cannibalism in that place because they, they don't, they, 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 there's no way to live. They're, they are dying there. Now, it reminds me of the world. The world is growing darker and darker and darker. And I'm going to take maybe just a touch of liberty with this scripture to apply it to our own lives. But, but that city, and I'm not saying that the world is, is, is the children of Israel, but that, that city is much like the world. I mean, it's dark. Shut up. There's no hope. There's no way out. Surrounded by the enemy with no hope for salvation or life. Yet there are these four lepers who are sitting outside that get this idea that say, you know what? We can go down here to the Syrian army. We can die here, die in there, or we can die down there. Or we might live down there. And I think sometimes, and not calling the Syrian, Syrian army God because they're the bad guys in this story, but realize sometimes people get to the end of their rope and they say, you know what? I, I, I've, I've tried everything else. I'm going to give my life to God. John, right? I mean, it's, you get to the point where it's, you get to the end of your rope and it's like, I, I, I'm going to turn it over to him. So these guys didn't know what they were getting into, just like we probably didn't know what we were getting into. All we knew was that, that, that God loved us, and, and we were a mess, and we needed him. So we didn't know where it was going to go from there, but, but we, we came to him, and, and we said, we, we give you our life. And these guys, it says, as it goes on, they did the same thing. It says in verse 5 that they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they came to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. 
For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear all these noises and all this stuff, and it spooked them. And so the, the Syrian army, like, they thought that the king had brought in other people to fight them so that they could get out of the city. And so they all freaked out, and they all bolted down the road. They took off, every one of them, and they didn't take their stuff. They left it all. And it actually says, if you read it, it says, as they went down the valley and as they took off by the river, the stuff was, it was leaving a trail. Like all of their goods, all of their spoils, all of their silver and gold and food and tents and all that stuff was all left there. And so these guys, it says, they came to the tent and they were so surprised that there was nobody there. In verse 8, it says, and when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and they ate and drank and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and they carried some of that out also and went and hid it. They had hit the jackpot abundance more than they could ever hope or want more than they could desire more than they could dream of they found it in this camp and there wasn't an enemy to be seen it was all theirs that's what happens when we come to christ we open ourselves up to new life we open ourselves up to his abundance we put ourselves in his family and he protects us and takes care of us and there's not an enemy in the world that, the, that that can stop you if you're following what God has told you to do you are his child and he has protected you so now you have abundance you have more than you could ever dream of you have life and life more abundant like it says in John 10:10 10, 10. that's who you are and man they are going from tent to tent to tent realizing all the goodness that was left behind. We're like that. And we come to Christ, we begin to mature in him, we begin to grow, we begin to get new revelation about the word, it changes who we are, and I'm telling you, your life is different today than it was five years ago. Maybe you got saved last week, your life is different today. You've seen those folks who have just been, who is happier to find Jesus? The one who has got no place, no hope, no way. These lepers were, man, they were, they were the bottom. They were the scum of the earth. There was a reason they were sitting outside the city because the people inside the city didn't want them. That's how we come to Christ sometimes. We feel that bad, that low. They had no reason to live. They had no reason to, to desire anything because they were lepers and they were outcasts. People come to Christ like that all the time. There are people in the world today who are like that who need Jesus. Now, as they began to gather all the goods and as they began to see all of these things, something came to them. In verse 9 it says, Then they said to one another, This is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. They had everything that their heart desired. They had more than enough, and they had abundance. But they knew it wasn't right because they weren't sharing it with anybody else. If we wait until morning, some calamity will surely fall upon us. And they said, come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. That's the first practical step. Decide in your heart that you'll go back, that you'll go out, and that you'll share. They didn't just go back to the palace. They didn't just go back to the city and take their seats where they were. They didn't go back all dressed up, I'm sure, in some fine stuff that they found, probably six coats, three crowns hanging sideways, gold chains all over them, gangster all the way. And they, they walk into, they, they, they didn't just walk around, you know, whistling, just hoping somebody would notice. See, they didn't think, well, maybe they'll ask us where we got all this. Nope. 
Don't we have that thought sometimes? God, have them come talk to me and ask me why I'm happy. Ask me what happened to me. Oh, if they would only ask me why I have such a, such a joyful attitude, I'll tell them. Didn't say they did that. It said they went back to the palace, and if you read the story, they went right to the king and the leaders and said, you guys have got to come see what is out here. The, the Syrians are gone. They've left all of their stuff, and it's ours. Come on. Let's go. So they went back, and they told everybody what they had found. Why? Because they had no hope back there in that city. But they knew there was hope that they had found. So they wanted to go back to the city and tell everybody about it. That's our responsibility as Christians. The story's a little backwards because the good guys are shut up and the bad guys are outside, but if you just look at what happened there, four outcasts found abundance, the enemy was gone, and they decided to go back and tell the people who were held captive that there was freedom outside the gates. That's our responsibility as believers to share the gospel. Will we share the gospel? That's where it gets, that's where it gets sticky for us. It's easy for us to say, yeah, man, I'm going to. But then when it comes to doing, don't you get nervous? Don't your palms start sweating? Don't you, I mean, don't you just, all, your heart starts beating heavy and you're thinking, I, I don't know what to say. Oh, what if they don't, what if they don't believe me? What if, uh, uh, wow, what would, what would Pastor John do? Uh, Pastor John's doing the same thing you are. <laughs> the enemy comes immediately. Why? Because you're about to plant a seed in somebody's life that's going to change them forever. The enemy comes immediately. Now, here, here I think is part of our problem. We make it too complicated. I am more, I am concerned. I know this person. I know what they're going. I am concerned. They got a thousand questions about the Bible and I can't answer them. So if I tell them about Jesus, I'm going to be stuck answering all their questions. I don't have those answers. So I just, I won't, I won't tell them about Jesus. They'll figure it out. No, they won't. But no, you don't have to answer all their questions. You don't have to figure out all their problems. Our responsibility, yes, along the way is to disciple. We've been talking about that. Part of that is answering questions and helping them in their time of need. That's part of discipling. But our first and foremost duty as believers is to tell them about Jesus. That, that's, that is the single point of the New Testament. You, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Helps us learn to live our life. But I am telling you, Jesus came for the main purpose of saving the lost. Peter, in, in Matthew, he had, that, he had that epiphany. He had that idea. He had figured it out. See, everybody in Matthew chapter 16, everybody comes to Christ the same way. It doesn't matter if you've been the biggest heathen in the world or if you've been the, 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 the biggest goody two-shoes in the world. We all come to Christ the same way. The hope that the goody two-shoes has is the same hope that the, that the heathen has. Jesus, he's it. Don't overcomplicate the message. Don't overcomplicate the responsibility. The second practical thing is that kiss thing. Keep it simple, stupid. Or skipper, if you like that. Keep it simple, skipper, if that sounds better to you. Keep it simple. Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, who... Do, do, do the men, who do the people say that I am? And they responded. 
I don't know, man. Some say John the Baptist. Well, he was just killed just, <laughs> just earlier. So some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Uh, and everybody's, everybody's got questions, right? I mean, they all want to know. Well, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you about Jesus, but you've got to tell me, how did we all get here? Well, uh, God created Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah, two people. How did we all come from two people? They're all related. That's not good. We don't live in West Virginia or Kentucky. That's, that's a problem here in Indiana. So if you can explain that to me, then I'll listen to what you have to say about Jesus. It's not about arguing theological points with them. Everybody has questions and issues and stuff. You might not have answers to all of that. that, I, I, that that's true. But we need to be like Peter because this is the single truth that it says Jesus built his church and his kingdom on. He asked, he asked the disciples then, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up and he said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And somehow, out of all the things that had happened up to that point, Peter had a revelation, really, of who he was. That he was the Son of God. That he was the Christ. That he was the Messiah and he was the hope. He knew it. See, the rest of them are like, I don't, man, I don't know, man. I know you're not John the Baptist because his head's on a platter. And I, I don't think you're Elijah. And I'm not real sure about Jeremiah. That everybody's got all these questions. And he said, well, what do you, who do you say? And Peter stood up and he said, I say you're the Christ, the Son of God. And he said, exactly right. On that word, on that revelation, I will build my, what revelation? That he's the Christ, the Son of God. That's what it's all built on. It all comes out of and from that he had, a, he had a revelation that Jesus was the man. He was the man. Now, it wasn't about how people got here. It wasn't about all the, all the things they've heard about the Bible and how it's wrong and can God make a, make a rock that's too big that he can't lift because God can do everything. That's usually one of the, you know, if God can do everything, then can he make a rock he can't lift? I don't know. I don't know. I got to go ask the pastor. No, just, just let it roll off. <laughs> Just say, yeah, and keep moving. You know, it's, it's not about that. It's not, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. John 3, 16, it's the simplest scripture around. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should, what, believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's it. That's the story. That's the gospel. Keep it simple. That's what Christ said he was going to build the church on, was that idea that thing that Peter came up with, that thing that he realized. And then as you move on, in John here, it says, so God so loved the world. Love's important. He didn't hate the people who were on the earth. He didn't want to do, do badly. He's not out to get you. He's, he's not out to ruin your life. He's not out to destroy you. He loves you, and he has your best interest at heart. So God loved the world, and he gave. He poured out of what he had his very best, and he's already given that to you and to me. It's a simple message. It's easy. He gave Jesus not, not to come into the world to condemn the world. He came in to rescue the world. That's the next verse, 17. For, for, for Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but, but, but that through him the world might be saved. Simple man, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I can't tell you I'm, I'm awesome at this, I, I, you know. I can't, I, I'm, I, I, I like to say I'm too busy. I've got all y'all to take care of. I, let somebody else hit this person up on the side of the road. I, I, I'm not the biggest, the, the biggest uh, 
flag waver in, in, this, in this witnessing thing and going out and sharing. I mean, I, we bring people to the Lord all the time in here. But I, I'm talking about all of us individually being out there in, in, in the streets, being with people. They may need help, but the first and most important thing they need is Jesus. And then it goes on from there and it says, whoever should believe in him. Those two words, believe in, it, it, it's, it's the verb form of faith. Pistis is the Greek word for faith, but the, the verb form is this believe in. It means trust in. That, 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 and we talked about it last week at the offering, right? If you trust in God, it allows you to what? Let go of what you have. If you believe in him, you trust him to a point in your life where you can let go of your life. And then it says and goes on from there that if they believe in him, they shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, this is news because this is true. We've taught it and and shared it before many times. We're all eternal beings. We're all people who are going to live forever. That's not a new truth. That's not a new idea. What is up for debate, maybe, is where you're going to live. You're going to be heaven or you're going to be hell. Most people, not everybody, but most people believe that there is something else out there once you get your body put in the ground. You either come back as a tadpole or a monkey or something, or if you've been good, you get to be something, a lion. I don't, you know, or you get to go to heaven, or you wait over here, or you get, every, everybody, everybody thinks, most people think there's something that happens after that. Well, there is. It doesn't say perish in everlasting life as some people are going to die and it's going to be over for them. The perish part is loss of well-being. The everlasting life part is that thing that he breathes on the inside of you. His new life forever in you. That's the everlasting life part. We are new creatures in Christ, right? How does that happen? Everlasting life. He breathes it in you. At that moment of salvation. So there are those out there who are perishing and those who have the truth. Well, what's the responsibility of those who have the truth? We've gone out and we've found this bounty. We've found all of the booty of the army. There's no, there's no enemies around. What is my responsibility? To take this truth that I have found, to take this abundance that I have found, and go back and tell the people who were there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He called us, and we talked about it in the first session. If we follow Christ, we'll become fishers of men. See, these guys went out, and they found all of the abundance, and they found everything that they ever desired or dreamed of. So they went back and began to, to share it with the people who were there. They went back. They, they followed it, and then they went back. They became fishers. We become fishers of men. And if you fish, right, you go out there, and you throw the line into the water. Sometimes you reel in a fish, sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes people are receptive to what you're telling them, sometimes they're not. But what do you do after you're reeling in? There's nothing on the hook. You bait the hook again, and you throw it back out there. Why? Because you know there are fish in there somewhere. You just haven't found them yet. Does that make sense? See, there's fish in that pond. And, man, you're fishing. But you bring it up, nothing. But you can see them. There's fish right there. Would you please eat my, eat my hook? Come on. It's a worm. You love worms. You're following the fish. 
down the like, come on, eat it. I was in Oklahoma once. They, they fish for gar out there. I don't know if you know what those are. Those are alligator fish. They've got these snouts with huge teeth. If I caught one, I don't know what I would do with it. But <laughs> it was coming down this little, this little stream thing. And I started at the top where it came out of the lake and where it was coming. And there was one there. And so I thought, cool. I just put my little, I just went like this. Just walked along with it. And it never ate it. I was like, come on, buddy. I'd bang him in the face with it. And he just wouldn't eat, man. It's like, finally, I ran out of room. I was like, oh, I guess somebody else is going to, somebody else is going to catch you. See, but you fish because you know there's fish out there somewhere. Fishermen are nuts, man. They spend all their money on stuff. Buck used to have a shirt. My Uncle Buck said, we'll fish for food. (laughs) They buy boats. They get houses by the lake. Man, they spend their time out there fishing. Why? There's just something about that catching a fish, man, that just gets them excited. Should get you excited, too. Simple, but it's profound. The third part as we move on here is the, 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 the invitation part, the invest and invite. See, there's something about being in here. I'm not saying that everybody you find, you have to drag them into church and they're going to get saved. They may get saved at your house. They may get saved at work. They may get saved somewhere else. Do that. But I'm telling you, there is something about being in the house. Many of you know this. Because you came in here hurting and broken, but you're not anymore. And through a process of coming in here and being in his presence, he broke down the barriers and the walls that were in your life. So there's an invest in people and invite people that goes along with this, right? Decide you'll go back, you'll share, you'll go out. Keep it simple, Skipper. And the third one, invest and invite. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, where two or, th- two or three or two or more of you are gathered in my name, in my name, who's in the, I am in the midst of you. Where do we gather together in his name more than any place else? Here. You can gather in his name anywhere, and it works. It's, it's real. Two or three of you at work get together, you begin to pray. God, you're doing, God, doing Jesus' business he shows up. But, but where, does it, where did that happen for you? As you came where? Here, time over time over time. You might have run away for a while, but you came back. And then you didn't run away so much, and you came back. And then you, what happened? It, Jesus' people gathered together doing Jesus' business. His presence showed up. And his presence knocks down barriers and walls in your life. And you may say, that's, that's great, but I, have, I, I got no idea how I'm going to, how, how, how would I, Easter's coming. And I'm telling you, I said it earlier, people think they're going to hell if they don't come at Easter. This is the ripe time to invest and invite in people. Pray. God will bring them across your path. Pray. How do I invite them? Well, here's a video, okay, and she's going to show you this, and this, this can help us out a little bit uh, in how we can be a part of what he's doing. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, burying your cat, Mr. Bootsy. I loved Mr. Bootsy. I guess you love Mr. Bootsy too, huh? Because he's your cat. Well, was your cat. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you come to church with me? Because all cats go to heaven, and if you go to church with me, you can find out what happened to Mr. Bootsy. 
I don't think that's the way it works. Yeah, I think it is. No, that's accurate. I don't think it is. That's what happens. I don't think it does. All cats go to heaven. It's not the way it works. Are you calling me a liar? So do you want to go to church with me? Now that might not be the exact way, right, to go about it. But there, there, there is a way. There is a way. Next week we'll have another one. We'll, we'll learn a little bit more as we go on what we got to what we got to do as we work ourselves towards Easter. What, why, why do this? That's the why. Because there's a harvest out there. Well, who are they? All the lost people that you come in contact with. Well, how am I supposed to do this? Decide you'll do it. Keep it simple. And then invest and invite. There's something about being in His presence that changes people's lives. There was a lady, and we've talked about her a lot lately in John chapter 4. She was a hurting lady. You may think, well, I don't know if I could do any of this. This lady, right, had five husbands, ex-husbands, was living with somebody else who might or might not end up being the sixth. That's a mess. Jesus comes, begins to talk to her and tell her some things. He tells her, yep, I'm the one who you, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you've spoke of. That is me. And she went from that moment of God doing something in her life, finding something. She ran back into town and she told the other people who were there. It says in verse 28 of John chapter 4, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Listen to what she said. Come and see a man. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could it possibly be the Messiah? Come and see this man. Now listen, there are going to be people that as you share the simple gospel message with them, their lives are changed. Their hearts are changed. But there's also something about coming into the house Being here in this place, Jesus' people doing Jesus' business, His presence here that breaks down barriers. If you go on and read, it says in verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. There are going to be people who do that in your life. But if you go on from there, it says, In verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and what? Believe. What's the simple message? Believe. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. It was getting people in his presence that changed their life here. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because of what we have heard ourselves. We can't help but share what we have seen and heard. Revelation. We believe because we've seen him and we've heard him. Amen.
We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus, and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.